Well, if you have your copy of Scripture, go ahead and turn to Hebrews 11. If you're using the church Bible, you'll find that on page 1008. And we are looking this morning at Hebrews 11, verses 23 to 29, as we make our way through the um, amazing book of Hebrews, where the theme is Jesus is better, persevere in faith. Jesus is better than everyone and everything. No challenge you're faced with, no trial that happens to you should move your soul away from Jesus Christ. He is the anchor for our souls, the writer of Hebrews will say. And as we've gone through this chapter, we've seen how the Old Testament saints lived by the same faith that we live by, and we are called to witness them. They are witnesses to us, a cloud of witnesses. And this morning we're looking at Hebrews 11, verses 23 through 29. And as usual, you're going to find it helpful to have your own copy of Scripture open, reading along there with me. And before we do, let's pray. Let's call on God to be present with us. Let's plead with him to bless his word to our souls this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we stand before you as Samuel stood in the temple, and when he heard you call and finally knew that it was you, he said, Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And so this morning, our God, we pray that you would speak and that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and that you would make us attentive and that you would flood our souls with the light of the gospel, that you would command light to shine out of darkness, that you would open our eyes to see the glories and the beauty of Jesus Christ, that our souls would be satisfied in him. Father, we've many times been satisfied with the weak and base and passing things of this world. And so we pray that you would make us to be satisfied in Jesus Christ this morning. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. This ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word to us this morning. Well, I have a very dear friend who is a pastor and a theologian, and in the early 1990s, he was recruited to be in a band that was sort of a social experiment. He was put into a band that was supposed to gain instant fame and success throughout the world, and my friend at that time was a Christian. He was a very young teenager, and he was a Christian, and he wrestled in his soul with what he wanted to do with his life. He felt a call to go into ministry at a very young age, and yet now he was being faced with this incredible opportunity from worldly standards, incredible opportunity to become one of the most famous and wealthy teenagers in the world. My friend backed out of the band. Within two years, they had become incredibly popular in Europe. They went to the top of the charts, and my friend went on to pursue gospel ministry. He was then approached a second time 
by the man who had put that band together and asked if he could put another band together and my friend be at the center of that and that this band would be as successful and as popular as the one he had left. And my friend went and he prayed and he turned it down. If you Google the 10 unluckiest musicians of all time, you will find my friend on that list. And what the writers say there is we would lose our religion to sell one number one hit album. And yet, I love the story of my friend because it highlights exactly what the writer of Hebrews has been trying to highlight for us and what he's going to tell us about Moses. Moses, we're going to be told this morning, lived in the wealthiest kingdom, in the wealthiest palace, and was likely going to be heir to the most powerful and successful throne in the universe, apart from the throne of God, and he left it to be associated with a despised, persecuted, humble people who had nothing attractive about them because he left it because he was looking forward in faith to Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews tells us that in verse 25. He says that Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the the passing pleasures of sin, and he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater treasures than the riches of Egypt. This morning we're going to see four things as we consider the history of Moses and the faith of Moses. We're going to see first the fearlessness of faith. Second, the sacrifice of faith, the reasoning of faith, and then the deliverance of faith. Well, notice that as the writer goes from Abraham, who he spent an inordinate amount of time talking about because Abraham was so important to the Jews and and the Christians here who had trusted Christ, many of them, the Hebrews, had come out of Judaism, which was not Christianity, and and it was a perverted form of the Old Testament, and now they were being They were threatened to go back. They were tempted to go back. They were leaning to go back so that they didn't get persecuted. And the writer tells them, look, Abraham, the father of the Jews, looked forward to Jesus Christ. He walked by faith. It was not by the works of the law. It was not by being Jewish. It was not by what you do and what God commanded in the legal mosaic economy. And so now he comes to Moses. Abraham walked by faith. Well, what about Moses? Because If you read the Gospels, you see everywhere that the Jews who contended with Jesus were always contending with him, saying, we have Moses, we have Moses, we have Moses, we have Moses, who do you think you are? And Jesus, in one full blast to them, in both their appeal to Abraham and Moses, said, before Abraham was, I am, and now the writer of Hebrews says, and Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ greater treasures than the riches of Egypt. Well, notice that the writer, as he enters in on this, and he's, he's taking up the challenges that the Christians have with regard to persecution and the fear of man that we have, which is why people depart from Christ, because they don't fear God, they fear man. And notice he says in verse 23, by faith, when he was born, Moses was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now it's interesting, the writer doesn't start with Moses, he starts with Moses' parents. He says Moses' parents had faith, and we know they had faith because when Pharaoh ordered the abortion of all the male children in Israel, Moses' parents hid him. They hid him. By faith, they hid him, and the writer says it was by that faith that they exercised a fearlessness in the face of political powers. Now notice, I think that that's what's being highlighted there in verse 23. Also notice that Moses himself, we're told, did 
did not fear the king. Notice in verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. Now here's the point. When a man or woman has saving faith in Jesus Christ, there's nothing to be afraid of. Because at the end of the day, what Jesus said, that men can kill the body, but after that they have nothing else they can do. And so we're to fear God, who after he has destroyed body can throw both soul and body in hell. And so over all of the princes, over all the kings, over all the presidents, over all the world leaders, there is God. And God is the greatest authority. And they are all... Uh, like nothing to God. They're like gnats to the sun. They're like gnats to the sun. And what the scriptures are constantly telling us is that we are to look in faith to Jesus Christ, we're to trust him, and no matter what obstacles or persecution or trials may face us, we are to walk through them by faith. And it's only by faith that we can. I remember um, a relative who's a Christian saying to me when I was a young Christian, I fear persecution. I think about it all the time. I don't want to suffer persecution. Well, none of us want to suffer persecution. I remember saying to her, if you are trusting Jesus Christ, God will bring you through that trial. He will bring you through that trial. There will be a fearlessness he will provide at that moment. I think that that's what we see with Moses' parents. We see that we are to fear God and not men. And that the faith that God gives us, it's not something that we just turn on inside. It's not a tap. It's a, it, it is an experience that we live in in union with Jesus. That when our souls are united to Jesus and as we commune with him, as we grow in our communion with Jesus, as we seek his face in prayer, as we live day in and day out calling on him and worshiping him and singing to him, God produces in us a fearlessness. Now, I've often thought about this. Fearlessness is not produced by saying you just need to be brave. Just like Abraham's obedience in offering up Isaac wasn't because Abraham was determined to be obedient. The writer says it's by faith. It's by faith. So as we look to Jesus in faith, as we trust him, as, as we call on him and cling to him, when we're confronted with trials, we're able to go through them. Moses' parents hit him. Because they saw, we're told there in verse 23, that he was beautiful. As an aside, it's interesting that Moses' parents were not told did any other great things in their lives. In fact, Moses' parents were, uh, uh, it was an incestuous relationship, if you look in Exodus 6. And so we don't know anything else about Amram and his wife. We don't know anything else about Moses' parents. But we know that Moses' mother hid him and then built an ark and wove together an ark and put her baby in the ark, and he was saved in the ark, on the water, and that was because of her faith. And, and here's what I think was happening in her mind. Here's how she could face the, the fear of the king and the fear of the edict to kill all the babies. What she knew was that God had promised to redeem his people out of Egypt. God had said in Genesis 46, my people are going to go into oppression and I'm going to bring them out a great nation. And all we know about Moses' parents is that they believed that promise. They knew that God was going to bring deliverance. They had the word of God on it. They acted in faith. They hid their baby because if all the male children were aborted, you would have no more Israel. And if you had no more Israel, you would have no redeemer. Because everything goes back to that promise of Genesis 3.15 that God would give a redeemer who would come, the seed of the woman, who would crush the head of the serpent. And if all the male children in Israel were aborted, how would the redeemer come? Israel would cease to exist. And so what we know about Moses' parents is that they acted in simple faith 
on the promise of God that he would bring Israel out and he would send a redeemer. And here's the amazing thing. What's being highlighted is that their faith led them to weave together a basket to save their son in. It's not, it's not a very grand exhibition of faith. I want, I want to read to you a quote Sinclair Ferguson said I thought was so helpful. He said, God's ordinary way is to use those who do the ordinary by faith and who live out the long, slow obedience of faith. There's nothing magnificent. Moses' parents didn't try to rise up and become some great leaders to lead Israel out of Egypt. They saved their son. And in saving their son, God led the people out of Egypt. It's actually remarkable that if you look at Hebrews 11, 23 and following, there's a thread. It's all connected from the preservation of Moses to the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. And here's the remarkable thing. We're told in Exodus 6, that Moses' father lived 137 days, and that means he in all likelihood experienced the deliverance as a result of he and his wife together as a godly couple walking in faith, rescuing, saving, and securing the preservation of their son. It's remarkable how God superintended and used that one act of faith in preserving the old covenant redeemer, if we can call him that, Moses, the typical redeemer, in bringing his people out. Notice that secondly, the writer moves to talk about the sacrifice of faith. He moves from Moses' birth to now Moses' adolescent and, and adult years. And there in verse 24, he says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, I don't think we can ever adequately understand how great an act it was for Moses to leave the palace in Egypt. I don't think any of us can even imagine. I think my friend who I mentioned at the beginning of this message, I think he has some small understanding of what it means. And yet, I think if you asked him, I know if you asked him, he would tell you the exact same thing that Martin Lloyd-Jones said when he was asked what it felt like to lose everything when he walked away from the medical practice to go into the pastorate. And Lloyd-Jones said, he said, I gave up nothing, I gained everything. I gave up nothing, I gained everything. And yet, the writer of Hebrews said he gave up a lot. He refused, he sacrificed his status his support, his financial structure, his education, his comforts. He sacrificed all of that. He gave it all up. He walked away from all of the prestige and power and success and status and fame to be despised and rejected with the despised and rejected people. I was thinking about this this week, and I wrote this. Let me just entertain you with this. Moses gave up status, riches, and fame to join a church that was despised, resourceless, and unattractive to the world, but one that had Christ. Moses gave up all of that and ended up pastoring a complaining megachurch of two million people without a building and with everyone trying to take it over. <laughs> Don't think Moses gained anything by being the leader of Israel. Moses would go to God and say, Lord, they're your people, and God would say, no, they're your people. <laughs> Listen, do not think having a megachurch of two million people in the wilderness, complaining and grumbling, wanting to go back to the salad bar at Ryan's Steakhouse under oppression, was lucrative. It was not. Moses gave up everything, and Moses becomes the picture for us of what we, our lives are to look like by faith. 
Our lives are to reflect something of the sacrifice of faith. If there is no evident mark in your life of having sacrificed anything, if, if and only you know deep down, I think, as I thought about this, only I know if I've sacrificed anything in coming to Christ. I've sacrificed nothing on the grand scheme of things. But every Christian is called to give up and to get Christ. Jesus said this. He said, if you don't hate your father, mother, wife, sister, sons, daughters, if you love them more than me, you're not worthy of me. If you love your children, if you want their success in the world more than their salvation, you might not have sacrificed the sacrifice of faith. Moses was a man of faith. Moses had been raised by his mother, which is actually astonishing, the way God superintended that. Raised by his mother, probably taught all the promises of God, taught all the, the gospel in the Old Testament. He was taught it all. Moses had that. Then God educates him in the greatest educational system the world has ever known at that time. And Moses leaves all of that because he believes the promises. He knows that God's going to send a redeemer. He is looking in faith, hoping, trusting, resting in Jesus Christ. And that's what enabled him. Let me say this. If you, if you think, if you do an inventory check and, and you say, you know, if, I, if I'm honest with myself, I haven't ever sacrificed and come to Christ. That's not gonna, you're not going to sacrifice by saying, I need to sacrifice. So if, you, if you've said, you know, I know deep down I've never come to Jesus Christ and I'm living for self. And you could be a churchgoer for 50 years and that be true of you. And if you say, I know I have not, the sacrifice of coming to Christ is not going to come because you say, I have to give things up. It's by going to him. It's by seeing his glory and his beauty. It's by seeing that he is a sufficient savior. The whole book of Hebrews is about, look at the sacrifice of Jesus. We see Jesus. We look at him. We see who he is. God manifest in the flesh, taking our sins on himself, taking our rebellion, our love of the world, our love of status, of money, of reputation, of power, our desire for me to build my kingdom here. Jesus takes all of your love for that on himself at the cross. And when you see that, you go to him. And when you go to him and when you trust in him, you're willing to walk away from all of it. I actually... I know I can't prove this textually, but I actually believe it was not that hard for Moses to walk away. The way the writer of Hebrews is talking about it is Moses was ready to go. Moses was walking by faith. He was expecting God to deliver his people. He was expecting God to hear their cries of affliction. He was expecting God to send a redeemer. He was hoping and longing in that. Job, I love Job. Job's in the midst of his suffering. Worst suffering that anybody I've ever known has gone through. And in the middle of his suffering, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last he shall stand on the earth. And then with my flesh I will see God, who I will see in my own, with my own eyes, God who is on my side. I know that my Redeemer lives. What enabled Job to go through the suffering, what enables Moses to leave, what will enable you to let go of the world and your love of the world, is to see Jesus Christ by faith, to see him bleeding on the cross for your sins. That's what's going to enable the sacrifice of faith. Moses gave it all up. 
When he was grown, notice there was a personal, tangible, understandable option. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. You know, I I often wonder when I read about churches, church planning strategies, um, you never, ever, ever read church planning manuals that talk about expect suffering. Expect suffering. What's a good church look like? Well, the Bible says a, a biblical church is a church that suffers. Suffers because the world hates Christ, a people who are despised. We are signing up when we come to Jesus, to associate ourselves with not the coolest and the hippest and the smartest and the funniest and the best, we are signing up to be with the basest and the weakest, the most unknowable people, the poor of the world, the despised. Moses understood that. Moses saw a persecuted people. Think about this. Moses' sacrifice led him to go from the court of the king who was persecuting his people to the people that were being persecuted. He didn't sign up. He didn't sign up to leave the court to go to something easier or something that was not as wealthy, but it would still be pretty nice. He signed up for affliction. He signed up to be persecuted. His faith enabled him to associate himself with a people who were being beaten and mocked and probably raped. He associated himself with a despised and oppressed people. And that's what the writer of Hebrews would have us know. He would say, these Christians who were at this point on the brink of great persecution, he would have them know that's the sacrifice of faith. That's what faith in Christ enables us to do. You know, I was meditating on this. Moses left the glories of Egypt and humbled himself to associate with the poor and the despised. Jesus, the greater than Moses, left the glories of heaven to suffer, to be mocked and beaten and reproached. Your Savior, I do sometimes wonder how many people in affluent churches and areas like we live in would associate with Jesus if he were here in the flesh. He left the glories of heaven. He became homeless. He suffered and was mocked and was persecuted so that he might bring many sons to to glory. He left glory, humbled himself. He became poor so that he might bring you to glory. I think that in seeing what Moses is doing, it is the response of faith. If our Savior left the glories of heaven to come and suffer and to bring us to glory, ought we not to leave the glories of this world that we think are so wonderful Ought we not to leave those to be humbled and abased and mocked and reproached for the name of Jesus Christ? What little sacrifice that is. What little sacrifice that is. Moses lived a fairly short life and has been in glory with Jesus ever since. The glory he left in Egypt was nothing. Um, Thirdly, let me just say this. What also enables you to do that as you walk in faith is that you are reasoning the life of faith is not a mindless, blind faith. It's not a, it's not a mystical 
let's go up on the mountaintop and just center our prayers and clear our minds. It's a, it's a thinking faith. It's a, it's a reasoning faith. Notice, notice what the writer says. He says in verse 25 that Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God, then to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Here's what Moses did. He said, I have women, I have money, I have power, I have a secured future, and yet all of that is just passing, fleeting sin. In that particular context, it was all self-aggrandizing, living for self, living for the world. Moses looked at that. He understood that had no lasting value, no lasting impact, no satisfaction whatsoever. And he reasoned that if he left and he was afflicted for a short period of time, it would have massive payoffs because he would be with Christ. He would have redemption and it would go on forever and ever and ever and ever. And Jesus wants you and me to do the same thing. He wants you to stare what the Puritans used to call your darling lust. I like that. I'd like to bring that back, that saying. Your darling lust. What is your darling lust? What is your darling sin? The sin you love and that you're just not willing. You're just not willing to break with. And what Jesus wants you to do is take that, that darling sin and say, this is passing, this is fleeting, this is worthless. Why would I not go to Jesus? Why would I not cast these at his feet? Why would I not run to him and lay that sin aside? And that's what Moses does. Moses reasons. And then notice in verse 26, he actually tells us he reasoned, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than all the treasure in Egypt. Your whole life, you and I are going to be faced with temptations, strong temptations, you know, one of the saddest, I'll, I'll be vulnerable with you, one of the saddest in pastoral ministry is, you know, if you're smart and you're, you're articulate, that you can make your way up, you can work your way up, and you can achieve some kind of status and success, that is passing sinful pleasures. That's what that is. That is fleeting sinful pleasures. Whatever you're faced with in life, the whole of our Christian life, we're to be fixing our eyes on Jesus, we're to be looking at the sin before us. And I want to say this. Sin is enjoyable. I mean, we wouldn't do it if it wasn't enjoyable. I have heard well-meaning Christians say, I don't find any pleasure in sin. That's a person that does not know what's in their soul. If there was no pleasure in sin, notice it's a passing pleasure. It's a fleeting pleasure. So those things that you just love to hold on to, that you know you need to cast at the feet of Jesus, those sins that you just keep going back to over and over and over again, you need to realize, yes, there's a pleasure to it, but in the long run, it is fleeting and worthless and futile, and it's better to dishonor men in fleeing from sin than to dishonor God. There's no evil in being persecuted. This is the irony. I was thinking about this this week. We actually think affliction is evil, and we think sin is good. So we think, if I do this, this will be good. I will like this. This will make me happy. I don't want persecution. That's evil. And the Bible says sin is evil, passing pleasures of sin that God hates and that call down his wrath. And affliction is not evil. It's painful. It is an evil, but it is not us doing evil. And so we reject the one because we don't want it, and we choose the other. And what the Bible says is a Christian by faith will reconcile in his mind. 
he will weigh, he will say, it is not worth my going back here for what I'll forfeit. I think when the Apostle Paul, I think the Apostle Paul does this a lot with the churches he planted, um, when he says things like, do not be deceived, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Idolaters, adulterers, fornicators, drunkards, extortioners, homosexuals, thieves, when he lists that list off and he says, do not be deceived, there is not only a pleasure to sin, there is a deception to sin. And what the Apostle Paul and what the writer of Hebrews is saying is you and I need to reason by faith, looking at Christ, looking at the gospel, and we need to say, that is not worth it in the long run. That is crucial to you persevering in faith. It's crucial. Um, I often wonder if and when the persecution comes to us, I actually wondered if us going through this book is preparing us for that, if and when the persecution comes, how will we respond? And so we need to make sure we are forsaking the passing pleasures of sin now so that if and when it comes, we walk through that like Moses did. What's really amazing is Moses, Moses reasoned that affliction was better than sin, and he entered into that, but Moses really didn't suffer a whole lot in this life. That's the remarkable thing. Spared at his birth, God protects him at every point, and then enables him to stand fearlessly before the most powerful man in the world of whose courts Moses rejected. Moses rejected Pharaoh's courts, and Pharaoh became afraid of Moses. Pharaoh became afraid of Moses. That Now, Moses wasn't expecting that, but... Just because you sign up for affliction doesn't mean it's going to be the worst kind of affliction possible. Moses is God's redeemer. Moses in the Old Testament was raised up to be the deliverer. And so finally, and I want to point this out, as this passage moves from his birth to, his, to the Exodus, notice the writer tells us two things. He says, he left Egypt. He endured as seeing him who was invisible. He kept the Passover and the sprinkled blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. And by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Now, he tells us all those things that happened in the Exodus account. He tells us Moses went to Pharaoh, went out of Egypt. God told him to put the blood the, the, on the last plague, to put the blood on the, the doorpost, the blood of the perfect spotless lamb on the doorpost. And when God said, I see the blood, I will pass over. And then I'm going to bring you out here. I'm going to bring you right to the brink of the sea. And you're not going to know how, how you're going to get across, but I'm going to part that sea for you. And you're going to walk through as by dry land. And here, here is where faith comes in. Nobody had ever seen the destroyer come and destroy all the firstborn sons as God had commanded. No one had ever seen God acknowledging that blood on the doorpost of the homes would be sufficient for him to pass over. No one had ever seen anything like that. Moses had not seen it. Israel had not seen it. They didn't tell the, the sweet little Exodus story to their kids when they were oppressed in Egypt. They had never seen it. God said, this is what I want you to do. And the writer of Hebrews said, by faith, not seeing, not knowing, not knowing what was going to happen, but God has said it. By faith, they kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, and they were not destroyed by the destroyer. And then when they're brought out to the sea, and they've got the army before them, and the sea in front of them, and Moses tells Israel, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Israel had never seen a sea part before. You know, all that often get, find it humorous, 
when secularists who hate Christianity mock the idea of the parting of the Red Sea because that's never happened. Yeah, and it hadn't happened before that. That's the point. That doesn't happen. That's supernatural. That's the point. By faith, Israel believed what God said through Moses, and they went through the sea. Moses believed, and by faith, they were delivered. They were delivered by the blood. They were delivered by passing through the sea. Where does all this come to bear? This all comes to bear in the greater Moses, who himself, when he was a boy, when he was a a baby, um, and Herod had commanded the death of all the baby boys in the region, fled down into Egypt, came out of Egypt, went through the waters, into the wilderness, who himself relived all of Israel's history, and who at the transfiguration were told, Moses and Elijah appeared with him and they spoke of his exodus, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem, and that Jesus is the greater Moses who accomplished the greater deliverance, who through his death and resurrection leads his people out as a new creation, I don't know if you've ever thought of that. The parting of the waters and the dry land goes back to Genesis 1. God divided the waters, dry land appeared, creation, new creation, redemption is new creation. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God recreates a people for himself. He delivers a people. And everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ, everyone who esteems the reproach of Christ, like Moses did, better than the passing pleasures of sin, understands and realizes that deliverance. Now, there's a sense where all of you who do know Christ have already experienced that. You know you've, you've undergone that exodus from the world. You've been drawn out. You've been delivered. And yet there's a sense where we haven't yet experienced that. I think that's why the writer of Hebrews is telling us this. He is saying to you, there is an exodus coming. There is a de- deliverance coming. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to appear and is going to consummate all things. And those who walk by faith, who reject the passing pleasures of sin and put their trust in him, just like Israel saw the destroyer pass over and just like they saw the sea part and they walked through on dry land, everyone who believes will experience that. I think it's interesting. The writer of Hebrews adds this little thing at the end. He says, the Egyptians tried to do the same, but they couldn't. They wanted the... They wanted to persecute. They were, they, they were following for sinful reasons. They wanted, their, they wanted their slave labor back. They didn't have faith, and so they drowned in the sea. Judgment and salvation. Judgment and salvation. Everybody who walks by faith undergoes the deliverance of faith. Everyone who tries to come to God or to be with his people or to pursue his people for any wrong reasons whatsoever will experience the everlasting judgment of God. All of that, all of that is is typifying that. Let me say this as we close. At the end of the day, all I can do is is ask myself, where am I at when I read this? And I do that. I can't answer for my wife. My wife has to ask that question for herself. I can't answer for you. Your spouse can't answer for you. You can't answer for your children. Every one of us is required to look at what we've heard this morning and to say, where am I? How does my life line up with this? Am I just living 
according to the pleasures of my heart and the desire of my heart for things? Or am I living by faith? Am I sacrificing by faith? Am I reasoning by faith? Am I hoping in the deliverance of faith? Um, These things are meant to be an encouragement to you. And I want to say this. I've said this before. last thing I want to say is that if you ask my friend, if you ask my friend today, was it worth it, leaving all the money and all the fame, he would say yes because it was a really hokey band. But he would also say yes because he is treasuring Jesus Christ. And like Martin Lloyd-Jones, he would say, I gave up nothing and I gained everything. And I hope that you can say, I've given up nothing and I've gained everything. And that your life then will reflect it. Now Moses' life evidently reflected it. The writer of Hebrews could look back at the narrative and say, see, here's where he had faith. 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 And the question is, can people look at your lives and say, here's where she has faith. Here's where he has faith. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church this morning. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that there is far too much love of this world and far too much love of the passing pleasures of sin in our hearts, and we would be set free from that. We pray that you would fix our eyes on Jesus. We pray that you would make us to see that he is altogether lovely and that he is a redeemer who is going to come and going to bring about the consummation of all things and usher in the new heavens and the new earth wherein righteousness dwells. And we pray, O God, that you would set our hearts on him. Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. We pray that our lives would reflect, as Moses' life did, that we truly are living by the same faith that we are justified by. We pray, O God, that you would be building us up in faith and that you would be enabling us to count the cost. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.